Christmas in 2020 will look different for me compared to any other year. And no, it's not because of COVID. That's a factor. But ultimately, it's because of this. That is my beautiful family up there. Yeah, my wife, Val. She's awesome. She sings up here. You might recognize her. And my baby girl, Emery. She is one year old. And I'm sure you parents know Christmas is different when you have a child. And so Val and I, yeah, I I see you. Val and I are having discussions of what is Christmas going to look like for our child and for our children, Lord willing. What are they going to remember when they think about Christmas looking back? Like, is Emery going to remember the smell of the real pine tree that we have in our living room? Is she going to remember the fact that daddy almost broke his back trying to put lights on the house for her? Or, or is she going to remember the hundreds of Christmas gifts that she gets from grandparents, right? Too many gifts. I don't know what to do with them. What will she remember? And then I was asked to teach this message. And then I really started thinking even more, what is she going to remember? What is the point of Christmas? What do I want her to stick with as Christmas moves forward? And you never guess where it brought me. My whole thinking, this whole process brought me to seventh grade English. Now you might remember one of these. This is a plot line. And every good story has a good plot. And it typically follows this kind of model, right? This is the typical story. And I think it's because it models God's design for a story. It models the story that we are all a part of. And so when we're talking about Christmas and as it's approaching, it's five days away, I want us to look at Christmas in the grand scope of the entire story that we're all a part of, the story of life the story of humanity. And I want to see where does Christmas fall in line in this grand story and why is it significant to us today? And so I'm going to walk through the story of humanity, the story of our lives through the Bible. And I want to start with the exposition, right? So that's Genesis 1 and 2. That's where we get the setting and the characters. We see God united with his people on earth and it's perfect, But then the next part of the story is the conflict. And we see sin come in and enter into the story and disrupt the characters. It separates man from God, and thus it ends up destroying man over time. But then we get the rising action throughout the rest of the Old Testament, starting with the promise of Abraham, where God tells Abraham, I will redeem my people through you. And then he, he says, I'm going to give you a king through the line of David. And then all the prophets were pointing to a coming Messiah, a coming Savior who would redeem God's people to be with him. And it ends with the prophets. And then there's 400 years of silence, of nothing. What, where's the story going to go? But as with every story, it ultimately is building towards the climax. It's building towards the one critical moment where the story turns and it changes direction. And the climax of our story is Jesus. It's Jesus, what we get in the gospels. Starting with his birth, ending with his death and resurrection is the climax of this grand story that we're all a part of. It's the climax of Christmas. Is Mike messing up? All right. Going handheld. So as we talk about Christmas, we need to know that it is the climax. And because it's the climax, it changed the story of humanity. Christmas changed the story of humanity. Humanity has not looked the same. It is different. The entire story of existence changed because of Christmas. It was the turning point. Even the calendar changed. Like the calendar literally changed directions because of the birth of Jesus, because of the climax of Christmas. 
And so as with any story, the climax is big news, right? It's the, it's the most important part of the whole story. And, and because it's big news, some people even call it good news. That's why we call it the gospel. And in summary, we were supposed to be with God, united with him in perfect unity. Sin separated us from God. The following action was a foreshadowing pointing to the coming climax, Jesus, who would then unite us with God. And Christmas was the fulfillment of that turning point. And so the good news of Jesus Christ is just simply that we can be with God, right? That's the good news, that the people of God can now be with him again. That's the good news of Jesus. But as with every news, this news demands a response from us. It demands that we respond. We respond to news all the time. Every day we respond to news. You responded to the news about the pandemic. You responded to the news about the election results. And this will hit close to home. Last night, I'm sure many of you heard that Chick-fil-A declared bankruptcy. I'm just kidding. I saw a ton of heads pop up. I saw a ton of heads like, what? No way. Everyone was freaked out. Some of y'all almost had a heart attack. But notice you responded. You responded to that news. It was fake news, but you responded to it. Every news demands a response. And the question of how you respond to the good news of Jesus determines everything. How you respond to the news of Jesus determines everything about who you are and your destiny. And so as we dive deeper into the Christmas story, I want to look at three characters' responses to the good news of Jesus. I want to look at when they were told about the good news of Jesus, how did they respond? What happened to them and how did their life change moving forward. And so we're going to look into this Christmas story. Open your Bibles to Luke 1 and 2. That's where we're going to look in our text today. We're going to look at Mary, Elizabeth, and the shepherds. And we're going to see how they responded to this good news. So we're going to start with Mary. Here's what you need to know about Mary, okay? She's a teenage girl. Uh, Don't know exactly her age. Some guess around 14. Okay, so she's a teenage girl. She's She's a virgin, She's engaged to a man named Joseph, okay? She's from a small town of Nazareth. And the tagline, like the the line on the sign entering into the city was, nothing good comes from Nazareth. Like just think small, hodunk, you know, Arkansas town, nothing significant there at all. This is where Mary is living. She is a quote unquote nobody. Yet God chooses her to be the mother of the savior of the world, to be the mother of Jesus, of all people, she, he chooses her. And he does this by sending an angel to her to tell her this good news. And so let's dive into the text, verse 28. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Now, I, I love that this is the first thing the angel says. Like, this is the greeting. Mary, God likes you and he's with you. That's the gospel. Right? That, that's the good news. In one sentence, in summary right there, the angel is foreshadowing and telling her, hey, God likes you and he's with you. Okay, so that's the angel's greeting. Verse 29, Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. And so the angel tells Mary, you're gonna give birth to a son. 
he's going to be the savior of the world named Jesus, right? Like that's, that's crazy. If I were Mary, I'd have a lot of questions. She has one question and it's very practical. Let's see what it is. Verse 34. How will this be, Mary asked, since I'm a virgin? Very practical question, right? How can I have a baby? I've never been with a man. Well, the angel says in verse 35, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age and she who is said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. And I love this because the angel just kind of pulls the God card, right? Mary's like, so how am I gonna do this? And the angel just says, God's gonna do it, right? The Holy Spirit's gonna make it happen. And by the way, like your really old relative, Elizabeth, yeah, she's pregnant. So when God says he's gonna do something, he's gonna do it, God card. Here's how Mary responds. I want you to know that. Okay, so the good news has been fully delivered. Here's how Mary responds. Verse 38, I am the Lord's shepherd or I'm the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. I'm the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. She's like, okay, God, I'm yours. Let's do this. Let's make it happen. That was her response. I love it. And so how did Mary respond? Well, Mary responded in faith. Mary responded in faith. Faith was the the key for her. Why faith? Well, one, she was secure in her identity. She knew who she was. She knew she was a servant of the Lord. And so when the Lord came to her, she didn't say, oh God, you got the wrong girl. Or God, you, you trust me, you don't want to use me. She said, okay, I'm yours. I will be used however you want me to be used. Number two, she trusted God to do the miraculous. She's in an impossible situation, right? She's never been with a man, but yet she's supposed to give birth. But she didn't question it. When she asked how, it was not out of doubt. It was out of curiosity. And so when the angel pulled the God card and said, the Holy Spirit's gonna make it happen, she said, okay. She trusted God to do the miraculous. And last, she was willing to face ridicule for her faith. Like we, we already know how much ridicule Uh, teenage girls get when they get pregnant before marriage, right? But then imagine her walking around town and people being like, so is Joseph the father? And she's like, no, God is. And um, the the son, he's gonna be the savior of the world. Could you imagine the ridicule that she would have faced for this? But that didn't matter to her. That didn't matter to her because she had faith in God and she knew that Jesus was good news because she could be with God again. So she was willing to face whatever ridicule would come her way. So when Mary encountered the good news, she responded in faith. And now I wanna move in the story to the second character, the character of Elizabeth. We've already mentioned her once. So uh, to talk about Elizabeth, we need to back up a little bit. So six months before the angel visited Mary, there was an angel that visited Elizabeth's husband, Zechariah. And so Zechariah and Elizabeth are really old and they're not able to have kids. And this angel goes to Zechariah and says, hey, your really old wife, yeah, she's gonna get pregnant. She's gonna give birth to a son. You're gonna name him John, John the Baptist. And he is going to prepare the way for God's people uh, when it comes to the good news. He's going to prepare the way for the savior, for Jesus. So he tells Zechariah this, Elizabeth gets pregnant. And at the time of the angel visiting Mary, Elizabeth was six months pregnant. So Mary finds out she's pregnant from the Holy Spirit. She leaves her house and goes to visit Elizabeth. And she wanted to 
kind of share in that bonding moment together. And so we don't know what kind of greeting there was between Mary and Elizabeth. All it really tells us is just Mary opens the door, they greet each other, and then we dive back into the text in verse 41. Here's the encounter between Mary and Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby, John the Baptist, leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, blessed are you among women and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. So I I love this scenario right here. There's a lot going on, but I I just want you to picture this, okay? So Elizabeth, really old woman, six months pregnant. Mary just found out she's pregnant. Mary walks through the door, boom. I don't know what greeting there was, but there was some sort of greeting. And John the Baptist is like twirling around in Elizabeth's belly, right? So John is, is, is doing twirls. He's so excited because he knows little chocolate chip baby Jesus inside of Mary is the savior, right? And Elizabeth has the wherewithal to recognize that because Jesus is in the room. Like it would have been incredible easy for her to just be like, oh, little Johnny's kicking again. So fun. Mary, you want to feel? Right? Like she could have done that. But she recognized John moving in my belly right now is because Jesus is in the room. The savior of the world is in the room. The Lord himself is in my presence. So she recognizes it. And because she recognizes it, it says she was filled with the Holy Spirit. She was filled with the Holy Spirit. And so what happened when Elizabeth encountered the good news? Elizabeth was filled. She was filled with God's presence, with his power, with his spirit. And I think this is so important to to note. She was filled when she was because one, she experienced the promise before she experienced the presence. Like she had been living in a miracle for six months and yet was still not filled with the presence of God. I think that's important to note. She had experienced promises, good things, and blessings from God before she even had his presence. The next thing, the reason she was filled was because she saw the promise giver above the promise. See, she, she, it would have been so easy if Mary walks in the room and they realize that God's using both of them for Elizabeth to just be like, what? You're pregnant, I'm pregnant. It was impossible for me. It's impossible for you. My son's going to be important. Your son's going to be important. This is so cool that God would choose us. But that wasn't her response. She saw the promise giver above the promise. She's like, yeah, John the Baptist, you're pretty cool. You're my son and all, and this is a great miracle. But Jesus is in the room with me. Like the Lord himself has come to be with me. What in the world? Like that was her focus. She saw the promise giver above the promise. And because of that, she was filled with the Holy Spirit. And then because she was filled, she overflowed with humility, praise, and blessing, was able to to be reverent before the Lord, to praise him and to bless Mary because she was overflowing. It's like when you've ever been around someone who's really full of the spirit and they're just overflowing with these things. Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and overflowing with humility, praise, and blessing. So when told the good news, Mary responded in faith and Elizabeth was filled. 
Now we need to move on to our third character in the story, and that is the shepherds. And so before we get to the shepherds, after Mary and Elizabeth have their encounter, Mary goes home after a couple months. Months later, there's a census decreed throughout the land. Okay, so Mary's really pregnant at this point. And Mary and Joseph have to leave Nazareth and go to Bethlehem to be registered. And a lot of you guys know the story. There's a lot of people in Bethlehem traveling. They couldn't find a place to stay in any inn or hotel. And so they have to stay in a barn with a bunch of animals. And as they're staying in this barn, Mary goes into labor. Right? So Mary goes into labor and the Son of God is born. The Savior of the world in flesh and blood. Jesus himself present on earth with people. Right, so the savior of the world is born. And that same night, nearby in a field, we get introduced to a group of guys known as the shepherds. And so when I think of these shepherds, I'm just picturing a bunch of dudes sitting around a fire, uh, sheep surrounding them, and they're just talking about life, right? It's really dark, it's nighttime, kind of a mundane work shift for them. And they're just chilling by the fire and just talking. But they're also a part of the Israelites who have been waiting hundreds of years for the good news of Jesus. They've been waiting for the news of Jesus. And it's in the midst of this dark night, in the midst of this mundane night, that an angel appears to them to deliver some good news. Chapter two, verse 10. The angel said to the shepherds, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Verse 13. And then suddenly a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. So this is crazy. Picture this. Group of guys sitting in a field around a fire, sheep surrounding them. It's dark, it's mundane. And then all of a sudden, boom, an angel pops up out of nowhere. The, the, the sky is lit up. And the angel says, a savior is going to be born to you. Jesus is born in Bethlehem, the savior of the world. And as if that's not cool enough, boom, a whole heavenly host appears. And they're saying, glory to God in highest, peace to those on whom his favor rests. And then they go away. Like what a crazy moment to experience if you're the shepherds. And then they just go away. Let's see how they respond to this good news. Verse 15. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. I love this. Like, like the shepherds, they just, they hear this good news and they look at each other and they're like, we got to go. We got to go now. Like, sorry, she, like we got to go now. We got to go see. And they'd run off to go find Jesus. And they get to see Jesus in flesh and blood. And then what happens, verse 17, when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. Like they were so filled with excitement after meeting baby Jesus, they couldn't help but tell everybody about it. They were the first evangelists telling everybody about the good news of Jesus. So what did the shepherds do when they heard the good news of Jesus? The shepherds followed. Shepherds followed. There was action applied to their response. They followed the directions the angels gave them to go to Bethlehem. There was action applied. 
The reason they they followed is one, their excitement led to seeking. Like it would have been really, really easy for the shepherds, like after the angels leave, to like high five, woohoo, that was awesome, did you see that? That was so cool, and the Savior's here. Oh man, after our night shift is done, let's go find Jesus. But that was not their response. They said, we gotta go now. Like I'm so excited, I can't contain it. Almost as if if Arkansas was gonna beat Alabama, it's in the fourth quarter and your friend calls you up, you're like, I gotta run to the stadium now. That type of excitement. But also, they left their flock behind. They left their flock behind. I mean, that's their job, that's their living. Those sheep protecting them. They could have been killed, they could have been stolen, they could have been lost. But they didn't care about that. They considered the loss in this world as nothing, but they considered the gain in Jesus everything. So they left their flock behind to go see Jesus. And last, they shared the good news. They knew that this good news wasn't just for them. They knew that it was for all people and they wanted everybody to know about baby Jesus because baby Jesus meant that we can be with God. And I also think it's important to note the shepherds didn't tell people about their crazy angel experience. They told people about Jesus. Again, it would have been really easy to be like, guys, we saw this angel and then there was this whole heavenly host and it was crazy and it was light and oh man, you should have seen it. It was a miracle. Oh, oh, and yeah, there's this baby. He's gonna be the savior of the world. But the angel, you mean you should have seen this. They were concerned with people knowing about Jesus because Jesus is the good news. So in summary, when we look at these three characters and what this text has taught us, right? We got Mary responding in faith, Elizabeth filled with the Holy Spirit, and the shepherds following the angel's directions. So faith, filling, and following. And so really, if Jesus is good news, then our response is faith, filling, and following. It's quite that simple. We put our faith in Jesus, we're filled by his Holy Spirit, and we follow him the rest of our life. Sounds pretty familiar, right? Faith in Jesus, filled by his spirit, follow him the rest of my days. That's what it means to be a believer, to be one with God when you respond to this good news. But the most important word upon that is if. If Jesus is good news. If Jesus is good news, like if he really is good news, like I'm talking good news, good news, then that's our response. But if he's just pretty good news or bad news, then that's not gonna be our response. But Jesus has to be the best news, like the news that is bigger than every other news, the news that that gives you joy even when every other bit of news is bad. Is he that good news? So really the question we need to ask ourselves this morning is, is Jesus good news? Is Jesus the good news? Not just some good news, but is he the good news? And how you answer this question determines your response to the good news and your response to the good news determines everything. And so as we ask this question, I wanna help us answer by having three follow-up questions that I think in subsequent order help us understand, is Jesus really good news to us or not? And so the first question simply, do you wanna be with God? Do you want to be with God? If you don't wanna be with God, then Jesus isn't news. It's just, it's insignificant. It doesn't really matter. Like, I don't really care. Why does that matter? If you don't want to be with God, Jesus isn't news to you. If you do want to be with God, if you answered yes to question one, then move to question two. 
Question two, do you believe Christ is the only way to God? Do you believe Christ is the only way to God? Not just a way, but the only way. Because if you don't believe that Christ is the only way to God, then Jesus is just news. Just some news, right? Like, oh, there's multiple ways to God. Like there's this way, there's this way, there's this way. Oh, Jesus is another one. Cool, that's news. But it's not good news. But if you do believe that Christ is the only way to God, then move to question three. Are you willing to lay down your life to be with God? Are you willing to lay down everything to be with God? Because if you're not, Jesus is bad news. If you're not willing to lay down your life, Jesus is is bad news. Because it means that you can't be with God unless you lay down your life. But if you are willing to lay down your life, and you said yes to all three of these questions, then Jesus The coming of Jesus, Christmas, is the best news you could ever hear. It is the good news of all news. But if you answered no to any of these questions, I want to plea with you on behalf of the text that we read and on behalf of my own story to change your response this morning. You see, we have an opportunity to change our response to this good news. And I want to plea with you. And God is saying, would you please change your response this morning? And so with the first question of, do you want to be with God? Here's what I would say. God wants to be with you. God wants to be with you. That's quite simply it. You see, Mary had faith that God wanted to be with her. When the angel said, you're highly favored, God really likes you and he wants to be with you. She said, I know, I believe it. You see, when I was a little kid, I would have said yes to question one, but deep down, I was saying no. Deep down, I didn't really want to be with God. And here's the reason why. I didn't think God wanted to be with me. Like I thought I was insignificant to God. And ultimately I thought he was disappointed in me. So I didn't think that he wanted to be with me. Literally in my Bible, this Bible that I've had since I was in eighth grade, in, in Luke 1, whenever it says Mary was highly favored, I literally wrote down next to it, I didn't know you could do that. I didn't believe God wanted to be with me. So I didn't want to be with a God who didn't want to be with me. And if you're feeling that way this morning, I want to plea with you on behalf of God's word and his character. He wants to be with you. He wants to be with you. That's his whole desire. That's the whole reason for Christmas is so that he can be with you. And he's saying, I like you and I just want to be with you. Question two, here's what I have to say about this. Promises don't equal presence. Promises don't even compare to the presence of God. You see, Elizabeth understood this. She understood, okay, I'm experiencing a promise from God, but that means nothing if I don't have his presence. His presence is the only thing that matters. And there was a stretch of life for me where I was going to Bible studies and cell groups and I was going to youth events and I was having these crazy worship experiences and raising my hands and all of these things. I would try and read my Bible and pray. And naturally, when you try and live good, you experience some good from it. So I was experiencing some of the promises from God. I was having these really cool encounters and I felt like I was experiencing some promises. But I wasn't filled with his presence. And the reason was that I thought there was more than one way to God. I thought there's Jesus and then there's my own efforts. 
I thought Jesus is okay, he's one way, but if I'm good enough, God will take me in. And because of that, I wasn't filled with his presence. And I tried so hard to earn my way to the Lord. And it doesn't work. It doesn't work. And so it left me unsatisfied and it left me empty. And if you're like I was right now, the plea to you is to recognize that you need his presence. The promises of God are not good enough. Like the good things you experience from him are not good enough. You need his goodness. You need him. You don't just need the good things that come from him. And then last for for question three of are you willing to lay down your life? Here's what I would say. Give up and go. Like give up and go. The shepherds, they gave up everything. They gave up the darkness. They gave up the flock and they went. They got up on their feet and they left. There was a season after that season of trying to earn God's favor for a year and a half where I wanted to to taste the darkness. I wanted to see what darkness felt like. I wanted to see if it could give me some of the joy and happiness that I was searching for. And so I lived in darkness for a year and a half just to test it out. And it didn't satisfy, it never does. It always leaves you wanting more, but it was in the midst of this darkness, I was waiting for these beams of light in the sky to be the thing that changes everything for me. And there were, for that year and a half, so many messages lit up in my sky saying there's a savior, there's Jesus, there's hope. But I didn't wanna get up and leave. I didn't wanna get up on my feet and fall. I didn't wanna surrender. And it was nine years ago in the back of a New Life Ranch room at a New Heights Youth event where I was on my knees, tears dripping down my face and the Lord telling me, son, if you would give up your life, you can be mine. If you would surrender, you could be mine. And so I'm just on my knees there crying, saying, I give up, I give up, I give up, I give up. Surrendering my life to him, saying, I will follow you all the days of my life. I am yours. And if this morning you're unwilling to lay down that darkness, you're unwilling to lay down your flock, I would plea with you that it will not satisfy. Material things will not satisfy in this world. The darkness will not satisfy. There is a light to be found and it's not in the message in the sky. It's in the baby in a manger. And God's calling you to get on your feet and go see him and go be with him. You see, Christmas in 2020, it can be different for all of us. For all of us. Maybe we could respond to this good news in the true way for the first time. Or maybe we can strengthen our response that maybe has been weakened this year. But we have an opportunity to either change or strengthen our response to this good news and to follow Mary, Elizabeth, and the shepherd's pattern by responding in faith, being filled with his spirit, and following him every single day. And I want to go back to this plot line that we threw at the beginning. And I want to finish the story out for us. Because Christmas is just one moment in this entire grand story that we're all a part of. So as Jesus' life continues, he lives the perfect life. He gets crucified. He takes upon our sin, takes it onto the cross with him. He's, He's killed, buried in the grave. And when he resurrects, he leaves our sin behind in the grave. And then he ascends into heaven to be seated at the right hand of God. 
And as he does it, he gives birth to the church by sending the Holy Spirit to God's people. And that's where we get the falling action. That's kind of the turning point of where we see the difference between Old Testament and New Testament. And so we get the birth of the church and the church's task, the whole point of the church is to share this good news with all people so that everyone has an opportunity to respond to this good news. And then one day there will come a denouement. It's a really fancy word that just means a coming together, kind of a a closing events, so to speak, where the characters and the setting and the story kind of wraps up in this one instance and ultimately it culminates when Jesus comes back on his white horse and he establishes justice. He redeems those who are his and separates those who are not. And then after this moment, we get the resolution. Like we get the ending of the story that ultimately is a new beginning, a new context, a new setting where the characters, God and his people are united. It's very similar to the beginning of the story. Wrapped up like a perfect bow on a Christmas present. That's the resolution. That's heaven. That's what we all get to look forward to. But here's what I want us all to know and realize. The story isn't over. Like the story isn't even done yet. We are in the falling action right now. And we don't know when the denouement is coming. We don't know when the resolution will be, but it is coming. And my hope and my question, my plea to you is if if Christmas has changed the story of humanity, has Christmas changed your story? Like if Christmas is the climax, the turning point of all of existence, is that same story, is that moment, is Jesus coming to earth the thing that has changed your story? If your story was a plot line, would Jesus be the turning point? Because my hope and my prayer for everyone here and everyone watching and listening is that when the denouement coming, when the denouement comes, you could rejoice. When the day Dumont comes, you can rejoice. Why can you rejoice? Because it means you get to be with God forever. That's the whole point of Jesus. That's the whole point of Christmas is that we get to be with God. And so this 2020, if you're feeling hopeless, if you're feeling down, if you're feeling unsure, if you're lacking faith, if you're not filled, and if you're not following, God is calling to you right now saying, here is some good news. The good news is that I like you and I wanna be with you. Jesus is the way, put your faith in him and follow me and you can be mine. That's the good news. And may we respond how Mary Elizabeth and the shepherds did with faith, filling and following. And as we we end today, we get an opportunity as a church to collectively respond in faith. We're about to sing a song called All Hail King Jesus. And and, and it talks a lot about his death and resurrection. But what I love about it is we just get to recognize him as king and we get to declare that he is holy. And so as a church this morning, we get to respond collectively and strengthen our faith in Jesus today. And then after that, Brad's gonna come up and he's gonna talk about uh, love and Advent, but ultimately lead us in communion. And that's an opportunity for us to literally fill ourselves with the death of Jesus, fill ourselves with what cleanses us and makes us new. And then as we leave today, my charge is as we leave this room or as you turn off the recording on your screen, that we would seek Jesus every day, seek his face. He wants to be with you, not just for eternity, but even right now. 
So would you seek his face and then share this good news with all that you encounter? If God's tugging on your heart, we're gonna have a prayer room or a, a prayer team scattered around the room. They would love to pray with you and talk with you. If you're saying, man, I need to change my response or I need to strengthen my response, God's people are here to walk you through that. And ultimately, God is in this room. He's with you. He likes you. He loves you. He's here. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the good news of Jesus. Thank you for the good news of Christmas, God, that you came to be with us, that you saw us in our broken state and you said, I like you. I love you and I want to be with you. Jesus, thank you for taking our sins upon the cross, bearing our iniquities so that we could be with you. And Father, may we in this room hear the good news of Jesus and may we respond with strong faith May we be filled by your spirit and may we follow you all the days of our lives for your glory because you deserve it all and you are the king on the throne. So we look to you and declare your holy goodness and we ask that you bless us this Christmas. In Jesus' name we pray.